Hey, and welcome to another episode of AP Banter. Banter, banter. Hey, ouch. Uh, hey, this, that, this is... That disoriented me. It was so loud. Uh, hey, this is, of course, the podcast where we talk with advocates and members of the disability community to educate and inspire better conversation about disability. Hey, my name is Rob Minot, and joining me today, Mr. Ryan Flurry. Hello, I'm back. You, you're, you're always here. You have but to I'm actually back leave week after before... week after week. Well, that's true. I keep I'm coming sure back. That's what the, I'm sure that's what the audience is saying too. That's like, oh no, him again, another one. Uh, and uh, no, Liz or Steve today because they have lives. So uh, it's just us. How are you? I'm good. I had something I was going to talk about today, but I forgot all about it. So oh, I'm, not, I'm not going to talk about it. Oh, come I'm on. I'm going to start writing stuff down. Yeah, you do. You do. <laughs> I Damn do. I'm not that age I feel like now. I always monopolize my life. Everybody knows what's going on in my life, but I don't ever never leave room for you, Ryan. Well, you're busy. So you got more going on than I do. The other thing yes. I got going on is this podcast. Well, listen. That's a that's a thing. It's all it sort of going on in my life. Wait, where where did you where did you get the impression that I have a life? I'm here too. I'm <laughs> talking talk to Liz and Steve. They're, they're the ones with lives. Oh, that's true. Whatever. It's their loss. Hey, Whatever. so speaking of the podcast though. Yes. Uh what the what the heck are we doing today? Well, today we are continuing our discussion with a writer from Descriptive Video Works this week. Joining us is Darla Bickham, and Darla, I really hope I pronounced your last name correctly. If not, I can be reprimanded. <laughs> you sure did. You got it, Darla Bickham. Nice. Yay. Thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate hey, it. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, we love talking about audio description. Um, you know, it's such a great and interesting field, um, especially, you know, we, we talked with Diane Newman last week. Mm -hmm. um, and uh you know it was really interesting to sort of hear a little bit of the insight into her, sort of her process and how her side of audio description works so we're we are really excited to sort of talk to you because i get the feeling it's it's going to be a very different process for you <laughs> so uh yeah we're excited to talk to you excellent uh yeah i'm i'm a i'm a huge fan of of audio description obviously it's one of those things i fell into doing in my life and discovered i had a lot of uh, combined experience in different aspects of my life that kind of made me good at the job. So um, I enjoy the challenge of it and enjoy writing new and different things all the time. Well, why don't we why don't we start there? Why, why don't you like give us a little bit of insight um, and a little bit of background on you in terms of just how you did actually land um, as a writer of audio description? So I um, uh, I'm an actor by trade. Um, I've done a lot of theater and film and TV. And um, many years ago now, uh, I'd say over 12 years ago, a friend of mine was doing live description and she was pregnant. And she was her due date was right around um, a crucial point in the show that she was doing live description on. So I was trained as backup for her. And then I went on to do some live uh, audio description and different events. And from there, segued into writing. So I've been um, primarily writing now since uh, 2015. And yeah, so I have a background in theater. 
I've also had a million other Joe jobs in retail and sales and coaching and facilitating and all those kind of things. So I don't know, a lot of a lot of the pieces kind of came together for me in a in in doing this job that I do and I love it. It's um and at the end of the day I feel good about uh you know helping tell a story or helping helping include someone in the telling of a story or in the receiving of a story. So were you a writer at all before you became one for for DVW because it seems to be quite an art. Yeah, I would say that um, I, I wouldn't have called myself a writer necessarily. I did a lot of writing and I was often the person that people would come to and say, I'm having trouble writing a letter. Can you help me massage it? Can you help me with the words? And um, I was actually working with a life coach and her first assignment for me was to tell people that I was a writer. <laughs> This was before I had even heard of audio description. So I was like, well, I guess I have to embrace that I'm a writer. <laughs> I, you know, I had done some creative writing. I wrote a, a one woman show that I performed, things like that. But I had never really, um, you know, labeled myself as such as a writer. And then I started to look at patterns in my life, people asking me to write things, people asking me to speak at things. And I thought, huh, there's something to this. There's something in the the world of and for me it's all linked to telling stories mm. and i started to identify that that writing stories was something that i was kind of good at and not only good at but it was something that i was really passionate about um i love telling stories and i and i love uh helping bring all aspects of the story to life for people in different ways so audio description was a good fit for that well, I find it really interesting that you sort of cut your teeth on live description, because I would assume that that's a, a lot more of a challenge um, to to describe a, a live event as opposed to when you're you're crafting sort of the script for a for a, for a can show. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, live is is really, truly flying by the seat of your pants. And um, I think my performance background helped me with that. And then it, it also helped me understand, the, the thing I took away from live description that I still think of when I'm writing is, um, you know, I, I was taught with live description to imagine that you're sitting next to someone who's blind or low vision, and you're sitting next to them on the couch and you wanna keep it conversational. You don't wanna interrupt their experience of the show. You wanna augment it. You wanna stay out as much as you can, but you wanna give them the information they need to keep the story moving forward. And so I've always, I've always kept that notion of, of keeping it familiar, keeping it sometimes conversational or, or matching the tone of the piece. You know, if it's something with more flower, flowery language, then my descriptions can lean that way. If it's a fast and furious pace show, then I try to, you know, keep the language and the energy and the flow the same to match that. So I've, I've always kind of taken my, that first introduction into what audio description was, that kind of sitting next to someone on the couch and helping them you know, map out a story. I've always kind of kept that in the back of my head when I'm writing. Well, and I, and I think that that's really the key to really effective 
um, audio description. I mean, it, it's interesting that you talk about being conversational because I, I also think that audio description is one of these things that it, it's, it's a, in, a, in a way it's kind of a thankless job because if it's working properly the way that you want it to be, it's almost invisible. Like yeah. the, the, the audio descriptive script is is almost like another character. It, it's, it, it has a specific relationship with the viewer that you don't want it to stand out. You don't want it to become the focus of attention. You're just trying to sort of supplement everything else that's going on in, in the piece. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that's always, you know, I, I've, I've often said that too. If you don't notice I'm there, then I'm doing my job well. Because I, I do want it to be, I want to be part of the story just as much as the sound effects are and the music is and, and you know, the visual pieces for the people who can see that. I, I want to blend into the wallpaper of the story, not make it all about my writing, you know. I'm really curious to sort of hear about a little bit about your, your own process then. There's so many different variables, I would think, when you're, when you're writing a script like this, because you've got... You've got things like, okay, well, what is the tone of the piece? What is even what's the tone of this particular scene? Is it a sad scene? Is it a, a you know, it's a tense scene? Is it full of drama? And not only that, then you've also got to juggle things like, okay, well, where can I fit in the description? Are you because you, you can't oh. step on dialogue, you can't step on even. I'm, I'm sure that sound effects at times. So there must be a real economy of. Of sort of words and language where it's like I've got to I've got to evoke a certain tone in a certain way in a certain time like to me as a, as a sort of a novice like that just sounds incredibly difficult <laughs> <laughs> well it's it certainly has its challenges and definitely you know um, all genres present <laughs> all kinds of of challenges to overcome uh, in terms of my process um, I think, you know, I, I really kind of lean on um, training I had in back in my theater days of, of doing script analysis. And one of the things that um, we would do in script analysis is we would read the play and then we would make a list of first impressions. Because inside of building a play, an audience sees that play one time. And I want them to walk away with the same impressions that I had when I first read it. You know, so it's that map through things. So applying that to audio description, uh, 90, I would say 90% of the things I write, I watch ahead of time. And that for me does a lot of things. It, first of all, gives me the first impression about what, what is the tone? What does this make me feel? What was I surprised by? What did I need to know in order to get through the story? And uh, then the other thing it does is I bring in my technical mind and I go, oh, this is important. I'm going to have to make sure I set this up. Um, I never used to watch something before I wrote it, but it was actually, I wrote uh, The Adventures of Puss in Boots, which is an animated series. And I started watching that ahead of time because I would get two thirds of the way through an episode and think, where did that come from? He's got something hidden on his little swashbuckling belt next to his <laughs> sword. And I don't know where that came from. And then I'd have to backtrack and find it in the episode. And I thought, this is silly. I'm just going to watch it so I know what happens all the way through. And then I can set things up properly. 
So for me, you know, the process starts there, understanding what is the story being told, the tone, and then also looking for the technical pitfalls. Where am I going to run out of time? Where am I going to be, you know, pressed for, where am I going to be most challenged in trying to fit something in? So then I, you know, try to, try to be creative without you know manipulating the story you know if there's a if there's a busy scene with a lot of dialogue i will try to set up as much as i can before the scene starts so that the viewer has a foothold and they're they're ready for what comes up and then the things that happen in the scene will flesh out the details so that's you know that's a, a big part of my process watching it first and then when I come to the end of the process of writing something, I like to, I like to have a, a bit of separation. I usually like to try to finish a project and then the next day proofread it. Because what that does is give me a bit of separation and then I, and then I proofread my script and I want to be able to recall watching it. So I kind of want that full circle experience. When I take a, when I take a step back from my writing and then read it, do I evoke the same kind of first impressions and details and story, you know, beautiful story plot lines that when I watched it, I was aware of and wanted to convey. So that's, that's kind of the, you know, and, and of course, every project is different and every project brings its own set of challenges. But by and large, that's the, that's the full circle um thing i try to achieve i try to what did i feel when i watched it and what is important to know and how do i convey that for the viewer so if you get sent a film or a tv show and i'm assume like you just mentioned you, you watch it and mm -hmm. start taking your notes after you're done that project do you take a second watch to see if you actually caught everything or are you pretty much satisfied that you did the first pass um no i i don't usually watch it again at the end because i've by that time i've gone through the thing frame by frame right you know i've i've looked at all the details and you know often when i'm writing i have to go back over something you know action action sequences for example i've developed a, a little technique for myself that I, you know, if I, I've got an action sequence that's say two and a half minutes long, I will watch it over and over and <laughs> over and over and over again. And what I'll try to do often, I try to describe it live because that tell usually those instincts with live tell me what's most important. Hmm. And then after I watch it and watch it a few times, I'll close my eyes and, and I'll just write out what I can remember. Because usually what I remember are the things that are most important, are the things that stand out, are the things that are visually captivating or right. compelling. So, you know, there's, there's certainly different techniques inside of that process. But, um, you know, usually once I'm done writing and proofreading, I know it inside and out. So I don't generally watch it again. Do you ever get notes from a, a director or a studio, you know, specifying that you know these are critical these need to be mentioned or not mentioned or anything like that uh there have been a few projects i would say like independent projects okay. um recently i can think of a movie i did where i didn't have any guidelines necessarily beforehand but they reviewed my script after i wrote it 
and you know there were things that they wanted to you know maybe mention it and actually there was a bit of back and forth they were you know there was a dynamic of i want you to explain this and then i would have to say well we it's not our job to explain i, <laughs> I write what i see you right. know so trying to because it is a real nuance i feel with audio description um in not spoon feeding it in mm -hmm. not explaining it I really want to be, it's impossible to com be completely subjective, but I, I want to strive for, you know, objectivity um, so that people can have their own interpretation based on the, the visual cues that I'm inputting. Right. So sometimes there is a back and forth. Like I say, it depends on the project. Um, other times we're doing things for networks and the QC process is, you know, typos or things mispronounced or suggestions, things like that. So more often than not, my uh, participation after writing is with a QC team, but there are certainly projects where I'm working with a producer or a writer or a director that, you know, they, they, they are sometimes a bit more enmeshed in the story and have trouble understanding that we don't want to explain, you know, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, you know, other times I've gotten feedback that they're really surprised at how the pro, you know, how the process works and how it is, you know, how amazing it is to the you know, visuals that they didn't know were compelling yeah. <laughs> that stood out to me. So I wrote about them. Right. And I, you know, and I do try to match the language to the tone of the piece. And, you know, I've gotten good feedback over the years of, of things that, it was like, well, wow, you know, you really captured what we were trying to do there visually. So when you're, when you're writing the language for, or trying to match the tone of a piece, are there, how difficult is that? Because I'm assuming that by the time you get an episode or a movie, you don't have a whole lot of time to do your research. So if you're doing a period piece or, you know, a horror film or, you know, even there was a, a show on Netflix called Sex Education where, mm -hmm. you know, there was a non-binary person in there. So, you know, learning the vocabulary that's related to that. What is that process? How does that work? Um, you know, certainly, again, it varies project to project. And a, a lot of, you know, watching something ahead of time for me is the inventory session where I have to take stock of what do I know and what do I don't know? <laughs> what do I don't know? What do I not know? <laughs> So, um, yeah, there's a lot of Googling. There's a lot of, uh, speaking of Diane Newman, she narrated Breaking Bad and I yeah. wrote Breaking Bad. And I, when I was writing Breaking Bad, I was uh, doing it in Mexico. And the things I was Googling, <laughs> um, I really thought I was going to end up on a watch list. <laughs> <laughs> That's understandable. <laughs> yeah. in, fact, in fact, there was there was one time that you know I was Googling how to cook math and all these things, and I got I had a little dialogue box pop up on the bottom of my screen. It said, "If you need help, call one 800 <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, certainly there's a lot of research, and oftentimes you know you can do a lot of research and maybe use a fraction of it. Right. But I, I always like to believe that whatever research I do, you know, and, and this goes back to my work as an actor too. There's a lot of research you do for a character that you don't necessarily play or you can't necessarily play. Mm. 
but what it does is it feeds into the experience you know my my experience of this of this piece or this work so that hopefully that experience feeds into the vocabulary that i build and things like that right. you know like i just i just did a series um about uh about sharks so i don't know a lot about sharks but <laughs> You you get to know a lot about sharks and you, you start to see common vocabulary words that come up. And so you want to try to and, and you know, again, also from the, the dialogue itself in the piece, you you're pulling your vocabulary from that as well. It's all about being part of that seamless, making it a seamless addition to the, the thing, not something that's jarring or. Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting, too, because I can sort of imagine how how incredibly handy it is to have that theater background and to have like some some film background because you know if you really think about it there's a whole visual vocabulary that a filmmaker goes through in order to say set up a scene so for example in a horror movie you know it might have a dutch angle um, which is just kind of like you know the camera's tilted slightly in a way that it's just it's supposed to kind of unsettle the viewer or, you know, a, a particular type of lighting that's like, you know, a purple infused with blue and, you know, these all these colors going on that are specifically part of that filmmaker's um, intention to sort of create a specific um, emotion, I guess. Yeah. Um, so it must be really handy for you. It's, you can sort of recognize those things and go, oh, okay, this scene is supposed to be unsettling so you can kind of build that into your description is is am i kind of reading that right yeah absolutely you know like there's there's certainly we don't we don't talk about camera angles but oftentimes i look at something and go what are they trying to do with this technique and yeah is it they're trying to make the viewer unsettled is it they're trying you know is it a soft focus all those types of things so i'm not i'm not actively describing the camera angle or what the technical aspects are but i ask myself what is the intention behind this you know and quite often like for example oftentimes there's flash cuts you know one scene goes to the next there's no time to explain or there's and and there's oftentimes i think Ah, oh, gee, have I is my transition too abrupt here? But then I look at what the filmmaker is doing, and I think, well, that was abrupt for me seeing it. <laughs> so then I go, okay, then it's okay for my transition to be abrupt when you hear it. You know, I and so trying to dig into what the intentions are, I'm never going to get it entirely right. But um, yeah, it, it certainly helps to try to break down what the intentions of things are. And that's where, you know, the, as much, the more material we have, you know, if we can get a script, if we can get, you know, any information um, from the people who have made the, the project, it certainly goes a long way into helping us, you know, tie into what the intention of the piece is and what the what the vision of the piece is well and i and i guess in a way and not to throw any any filmmakers under the bus but uh you know like sometimes filmmakers try to do things and they're just they just don't quite succeed so <laughs> does that ever kind of play into it like i don't know you're you're writing a script for 
planet of the vampire squirrels and it's, it's you know wait it's a, wait wait is that a show i want to go I watch it <laughs> trademark <Hey>, trademark <laughs> i came up with it if anybody out there wants to make that um but but you know like so does that ever kind of factor into it where you're just like well i'm doing the best i can with what i've got but you're yeah, you're, you you're know, only limited to the filmmaker's vision yeah, and, and uh, not to throw any of my fellow actors under the bus, but sometimes I'm not entirely clear what their intention is behind the scene, but the script might give me a bit of a nudge on what they were trying to achieve. So, you know, maybe sometimes my description might augment the performance. I'm not sure, but, <laughs> you know, um, I, I would say maybe on some long running shows, you know, uh, in the certain style, it's like, ah, he's brooding again. That's that's all I can say. He, he broods. Um, <laughs> so, you know, you, you, you try to be as, as as clear and concise with what you see um, and, and, and try not to uh, augment, but sometimes it's tempting. So... <laughs> Well, so something else that I'm that I'm super curious about, because we, you know, we, we talked to, to Diane last week, one of the things that she that she mentioned that I really was surprised at was, you know, she doesn't even see the script beforehand. She walks in, she does most of it cold. She mm -hmm. hasn't seen the show. She doesn't even necessarily um, she doesn't have the show on while she's recording it like she's she's kind of removed from it. And it sounds like, you know, she can do an hour show in about an hour. So yeah. for you, I like it's I'm completely different. So I, I'm kind of curious to, to hear about what your process is kind of like from whatever when you get the script or or do, do like do you get a, like a script first and then you get the the actual film or TV show or how does um, it all work? Every project is different. That's that's the the blanket answer. But um, you know, for breaking uh, with Breaking Bad, for example, all I ever got was a, a video. Um, this in a, and, and we were writing the show after it, well after it it had aired. So I could certainly go on the internet and find, uh, you know, fandom pages are always really interesting or recaps that people write, things like that. I had also watched the series. Um, so, you, you know, quite often we get nothing but the video. So I watch it and I, I work through and I write it. Um, certainly like a, a 45 minute show probably takes me six to eight hours to write depending on the genre you know um so so there's certainly more of an in, uh, in, uh, investment of time when with the writing process um and there's certainly more of the research side of things that come into play so it's um it's one of those things I may have a lot of information to go on or I may have nothing to go on except what I can see on the screen. Um, so it's you, there's there's always different challenges. Sometimes we get videos that are heavily watermarked. So it's challenging because we can't quite see exactly what's going on. So <laughs> and then trying to communicate to people that was like, we actually need a really clear copy of this because I'm describing what I see and if I can't see it. So, <laughs> but you know, there's, there's, there's sometimes that communication breakdown that we have to rectify in order to produce a better product, quite frankly. 
So I have to ask the question, do you prefer six to eight hours of writing for a project or 20 to 25 minutes to do a Hallmark Hall of Fame movie? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, those Hallmarks can be tricky, man. Uh, No way. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, it's it's funny. Uh, There's so many projects that I've worked on and that I've done that I never would have chosen to watch. It just wouldn't have been on my radar. It wouldn't have been something that I wanted to see. But then going through the process of of writing and describing it and doing the research, it's like, oh, that was actually really interesting. You know, different mm-hmm. documentaries or things that I wouldn't have otherwise known about. So it it's uh, it's interesting how invested you get when you start to um you know dive into it and figure out how you're going to convey this story for your audience you know and i and i take that seriously i i always say that i wish i could do a crappy job and just blast (laughs) but i can't (laughs) i'm always really invested in something and and whether it's whether it's a you know a, a silly a silly movie that um, I'll never get the time back from watching, or <laughs> it's something that's really in depth and involved. I, I always find myself committing to it and getting invested in the storytelling of it. So it's, and, and some of those take longer than others, you know? Well, and I was saying to Diane last week, and she did mention a website, and I'll have to go back and, and track it down. But, you know, as someone who's totally blind myself, I had asked her, or mentioned that it would be great if there was a place to find out who described what. Because, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people have commented on Diane's delivery. And if there was a, a directory of shows that she's done, those of us who are fans of hers could find those shows and just keep following her process. And same with the writers. You know, not all writers are whatever agreed upon by, by other people. You know, Rob and I probably have different tastes and genres. So if we had a directory of writers like yourself that we knew you did Breaking Bad, that you did ABC, we could follow that work as well. And I know Diane had mentioned that DVW, I think in the last year or so, has started mentioning who the describer is in the credits at the end of the shows. Are the writers listed as well? We have started uh, listing credits for the writers. that's been a very recent move Mm -hmm. and you know for for me as a writer it it was never it didn't really matter to me to to be you know fully transparent um but i think that comes from kind of working in a vacuum you know you you i write these things and i put them out there and i assume someone's listening to it but (laughs) it's it's a rare you know facebook's been great there's that audio description uh discussion group on facebook and you know following that and hey they're talking about my writing and so yeah okay that's nice to be recognized it's nice to hear how how the project landed with people what they liked what they didn't like but i think i you know i wrote for so many years without that feedback that Mm -hmm. it is very much like working in a vacuum so i i didn't even consider that people and a lot of people don't know that there's often a writer and a narrator, that there's two separate people involved in it. Right. Often they think the narrator is just making up the words and <laughs> saying it. So 
um, yeah, it's, it's always nice to be recognized, but you know, for me, it's, um, it's not vital if people know that I wrote it. There is a database that um, I know that, you know, work is tracked because I was asked if I would mind, you know, um, listing shows that I've written. I'm like, no, absolutely not. Go for it. Um, I can't find it off the top of my head here, but I can certainly pass that along too, because it's a great resource in terms of laying out the different shows that I've written and, and that sort of thing. And, and yeah, if people are interested in following in that sense, then sure, then it should be, you know, it, as far as me, you know, being recognized for it, it doesn't really matter to me in one way or the other, though the feedback is certainly nice when I hear that people enjoyed something, so. Well, and I think you would agree, and I think you've already mentioned it earlier, that there's good writing, there's bad writing, and there's good audio describers, and there's bad audio describers. I'm listening to a show right now on Netflix, and this guy just makes me cringe, but I'm enjoying the show, so I'm going to, you know, get through it. It's this, you know, I think you guys deserve to be recognized for doing great work, so... Yeah, okay. if you can share that link with us, we'd definitely put it in the show notes. Yeah, absolutely. I'll go back in my emails and track it down. So in, in sort of from your perspective, then the the field itself, is it beginning to really gr gain some credibility? Because from the from the outside, it seems to me that it, it is. We're hearing more people talk about it. It seems to be more of a uh, of a conversation. Um, and and even, especially since that you do occasionally get notes from, say, producers or, um, you know, the studio, like I would think that that's kind of, in a way, it's a good sign because it means that they're actually paying attention to that aspect of the creative process and they're interested in making that better, which seems to me as, as much of a pain in the butt, it probably can be to have so many cooks in the kitchen. I, I, I would think that it, it is kind of a good sign because people are paying attention. What's your sort of perspective on all that? Have you, have you noticed any sort of growth in credibility in, in that sense? Yeah, I think certainly, you know, if, if uh, in terms of gauging that, I would probably look to when people ask what I do. You know, there were certainly times uh, when I first started doing this work, and they say, what do you do? And I say, I write audio description. What's that? And they had no idea. And then say, oh, you must be able to type really fast. And I said, no, 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 <laughs> not, not captioning. That's for people who are deaf and can't hear. I'm working with for people that are blind and can't see the, okay, so we'll get that straight. Um, <laughs> So, so certainly now uh, that has definitely changed over the last decade. Now, when I say that I, I write for audio description, oh yeah, that's cool. You know, people understand it more. Um, at the same time, I would also say that I'm surprised that people are still finding out about it. You know, uh, the, the team that I work with at, Descri at Descriptive Video Works, we share stories of, yeah, I was at a friend's house the other day and her mom is blind. So I was telling her about what I do and she had no idea that audio description existed. And I think, oh, what? <laughs> I yeah. thought we'd come a long way, baby. Mm -hmm. But so, yeah, you know, as, as much as it's certainly, and I, for me, I think what has, um, uh, the the best thing that has made the leaps and bounds and strides of moving audio description ahead is consumers getting more um demanding or more having higher expectations for the quality that's there you know i think for a lot of 
people, uh, it was ticking a box. Oh, we have to make this accessible. Okay, check, it's done. But there are people that are really uh, interested in telling their story to all of their viewers, you know, cited or otherwise. So there are some people that really understand, I see it as a real craft, you know, and I think there are people that understand that and want to support that. And then there are others that are maybe still ticking a box. So we're certainly further down the, the road of, of, I don't know if mainstream is the right word, but of certainly having the, it more recognizable in terms of a service that's available. But I think there's still a long way to go too. Yeah, I was just going to say, we're not quite where we need to be, like closed captioning is everywhere, but we're getting there. Yep, yep. So at the top of the show, we talked a little bit about AI and, and we, we talked a little bit to, to Diane about this too. Um, so I, I'm, I'm curious to get your take on it. Um, but, you know, what is, your, what is your take on it? Do you see that that could potentially eventually have a role in all of this, whether it be in the writing process or the, the, um, the, the voice part of it? Um, I don't know. Just what, what do you think? Well, uh, I gotta say it's probably, it's, it's really loaded for me as an actor, you know, um, there's, there's a lot of elements of, of AI that are going a long way to try to eliminate the job of an actor. You know, there are, there are things at work to, um, take your likeness and then once they have your likeness, whether it's your voice or your, your, your mm -hmm. yeah. visage, you know, now they're going to run with it and you sign the dot sign on the dotted line and they can do whatever they want. Right. So as a performer, I break out into hives when I think about AI. <laughs> yeah. um, and so certainly that, I think that colors my perception of it. Um, but you know, that there's text to speech. There's, there's things now that try to automate the process and by and large, the process, the, the feedback I've heard is people don't like it. So, I don't know if if it will you know keep improving to the point where people like it and it's it's something that's beneficial. Um, I think it it takes away from the artistry of it, the craft of it, and it tries to kind of slough off this responsibility of accessibility and handing it over to AI and uh, you know you're it's artificial intelligence right. it's in the name and to me it 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 goes against everything that i try to inject in the work which is you know blood sweat tears research vocabulary attention to detail all of those things right and no i don't believe a machine can do it better and i'm gonna drag my heels and you know, <laughs> say say that confidently and could be wrong but so, uh, totally. Uh, that, that's where I come from with it. To me, uh, I am a storyteller, whether I'm writing it, whether I'm speaking it, performing it. And I think losing a connection to that very core thing of sharing stories with people, uh, in a personal sense, I think it's dangerous to try to cheat that. Well, and especially just to make the process cheaper which is at the end of the day, that's, that's where, you know, the companies would, would land in terms of using it. They would just be like, well, this, we can, we can produce a lot more content if we, if we just use AI because we don't have to. 
course, pay. Yeah, and often um, those those bottom line, the, the people that are dealing with those bottom lines are making billions of dollars. So I right. don't have a lot of sympathy for no, them no, trying to and the community wants good audio description you know most yeah. of us are on the bandwagon of go away with text-to-speech even the old um, you know Star Trek series and stuff on the old internet archives you know sure some of that would be great to be done with text-to-speech but at the same time if it can be done by a human let's get it done by a human right because um, we all prefer that or most of us prefer that Right. Yeah, and and why should it be a fight? You know, yeah. yeah. Um, just because someone absorbs a story in a different way, why should it be diminished? Yeah, well, you know, and and the the old archives was was what we were talking kind of talking about amongst ourselves last week in terms of oh, well, maybe that is could be a place for it because really nobody's clamoring for you know, old episodes of, of uh, well, uh, people probably are clamoring for that, but I'm thinking like, <laughs> I don't know, like um, the Andy Griffith show, like nobody, you know, nobody cares about that or Happy Days or Taxi or like any oh. of these older shows, but at the same time, but maybe, maybe we should be like, maybe that would create a bit of a second life for them because if we did create, um, you know, really engaging, audio description for those shows, maybe a whole new segment of people would be interested in them again. Absolutely. You know, uh, like, like I said, when we did Breaking Bad, it was well after the series had ended. And the number of times I, I read feedback, someone said that they had already been through the entire series, then found out it was audio described and went and did the whole series again, you know? And I mean, the longer this writer's strike goes on, we may need to go through True. archives and, and get back catalogs of stuff. And, and, you know, that's certainly work that we do at Descriptive Video Works is, um, you know, series, older series that are already on streamers and things like that. Um, and yeah, I think it's, it, I, I can't see any reason not to do that. And I'll just jump, uh, jump in real quick and say, I lost my sight later in life. So if we could oh. go, I, you know, I have visual memory of Happy Days and Taxi and all those shows. So if we could go back and have them audio described, I'd be able to relive those now that I can't see them through audio description. Yeah, absolutely. And why should, why should you have to listen to it with a robot voice? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know? written by somebody who doesn't understand the context of the scene right which is something that an ai will never be able to do yeah. um you know yes it can it can maybe one day you know describe all the technical aspects of any given scene but it's it's not it doesn't understand the context of it like a human does yeah absolutely and and i think you know hopefully that's that i i think it still matters now and hopefully that will still matter it, or will matter more in the future in terms of trying to defend this notion of artistry of you know of what we do is is not data entry it is far more than that and we're right. we're trying to be a part of the storytelling process just as much as the director and the actors and the producers and and all of that so to me, it's, it's ridiculous to suggest that one aspect or one segment of an audience should get a diminished return on, on their investment of their time into a story yeah. uh, because it's cheaper. Yeah. Well put. Thank you. Um, I do find it interesting, man. It's just, we're so dumb as humans. 
Like why? <laughs> why? We create artificial intelligence and the first thing we go after is stuff that we actually like to do, like creativity and the arts and performing and all that stuff, music. Like we just, that's the first thing that we try to replace. And it's like, that's crap that we like to do as humans. Exactly. I, I like, saw a, a, a tweet or something, a meme, I don't know, saying, saying just that, that now the people are doing uh, menial dead-end jobs for minimum wage and we have AI painting and creating visual stories. Yeah. And yeah. What? Where did, wait a minute, we screwed that one up. Let's go exactly. back. <laughs> yeah, if we're going to replace anybody, like replace politicians. <laughs> oh, wouldn't that be great? Yeah, President ChatGPT would solve uh, <laughs> climate change overnight. There would be no ego involved. There would, oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's a really I, easy I, fix. Chat GPT for Prez. I'm there'd, be, there'd be ethics. <laughs> there would be ethics. Yes. There'd be ethics. Yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> yeah, eliminate even... corruption. Sorry, we We're on to something need, here. We wouldn't even need a plug-in. <laughs> we wouldn't need an ethical plug-in. Are there any particular genres you enjoy writing for more than others? Um. You know, I've said in the past that my my favorite thing to write, the next favorite thing to write is the thing I haven't written yet. <laughs> because it, it, it makes me a better writer, you know, when I have to, when I have to kind of put myself in a place of, okay, someone's going to find this enjoyable, even if it's not my thing. So how do, how do I tell this, do this story justice? However, I draw the line at horror because I do not like <laughs> horror movies. Oh, yeah. So, that is well known. It is documented in my file at work. I will not write for me. Well, that was my next question. What makes you uncomfortable writing? Yeah. I just I don't like being scared. I don't understand the appeal of being scared. Someone else can write the horror movies because I I don't I don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's so. I, I now I just thought of another side question. <laughs> so, do you? I mean, it must be really fun to do all this learning because i would imagine especially in the case of like say period pieces where you have to go in and you're describing things that you know are, are very specific to a specific time period that you maybe don't know anything about um do you do you run into that like how do you sort of a, approach like there, it, there must be a like a lot of research for certain types of of content mm -hmm, absolutely that's you know, and, and certainly some projects more than others. There, there's certainly some shows that require a lot of research. Uh, it makes me really great at cocktail parties because I have, <laughs> you know, a small amount of knowledge about a whole lot of things <laughs> <laughs> because I've absorbed a lot of information. Uh, the interesting thing too is when you, you know, when you do a project, um, you've invested the time and the energy and 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 amassed this knowledge and our project managers at dvw are great about going hey darla did this project before let's give her this one too because they're similar or they're linked or they have a common thread so then you know you come you, you can develop a bit of an expert approach to it because it's like oh yeah this is like the fourth project i've done about asl so i've kind of developed a vocabulary i have an understanding of what's important to talk about and that sort of thing so you know certainly as you go along and as you do more and more projects and that's why i say i like to do the thing i haven't done yet because it it makes me a better writer and it's and it keeps me interested you know it it, it 
it's exciting to to try to describe things that like i say that i wouldn't normally watch um because it's it's a challenge and it makes me a better writer i think well, Darla, we want to really thank you so much for joining us. Love the work that you're doing. Do, anything to, to plug at all? You got a blog, you got a, I don't know, a script in the closet, uh, anything at all that you want to you want to plug? If, if people want to reach out to you and contact you, anything at all? Uh, nothing really to plug. Um, I recently moved to Manitoba and I'm uh, planting a garden. So <laughs> I can use any and all uh, expertise in that realm. But, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I just, I love what I do. And I, I love being, you know, part of a team at, at Descriptive Video Works that, you know, we're a new uh, full-time team uh, that uh, for the last year we've been full-time writers and it's been great to have I would say that's been a, an, an amazing thing that's really augmented my writing too, is having a team that we can talk about things and, hey, how would you handle this? And you get different perspectives. And, you know, we, we meet with a, an advisory council quarterly and talk about, you know, we, we get feedback from blind and low vision people talk and, and their opinions can be just as diverse and wide ranging as how we as writers would approach something something so it's it's all really interesting to hear the different perspectives and how it all goes together so that actually might be something good to plug so if there are people out there that that do want to sort of throw in their input somewhere where would they go to sort of submit that well uh certainly um it, uh at descriptive video works you know contacting through the website we love getting feedback we love knowing if something bothered you uh we have made corrections to projects you know after the fact because something was revealed to us that we didn't know or you know that sort of thing um on the facebook audio description discussion page uh i follow that my whole team follows that because we like to know you know, what's, what are, what's being said? What is the feedback out there? You know, I, I work from home. I work in my office. Uh, I stare at my garden. I take my breaks from writing and I go plant things. <laughs> I really kind of work in a vacuum. So the more I can understand how my work lands with people, again, just makes the work better. And I think by making the work better and making writers stronger and narrators stronger, it, it solidifies the case for this is how the work should be done. It should mm. not be done by a machine. It should not be done by AI. It should not be done by text-to-speech. It should be done by living and breathing individuals who are passionate about the work. So I think the more we work with our audience, the more we work with the people who consume what we do, the, the stronger we become as, as, as an accessibility service, for sure. Thank you again so much and uh, best of luck with, uh, with the garden. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Darla. Yeah. Take care. Bye, Darla. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, another inside look at descriptive audio. Yeah, it's interesting how it's a very different process for the writer as opposed to the voice talent, um, which I, I suspected was the case, but, you know, it's, uh, it's fascinating to hear uh, just how it all works and how it all gets put together to result in this project that um, is so meaningful to a lot of people. Well, and you have to think about the passion that these writers 
must have because Breaking Bad was like five seasons, five or six seasons, and you know, 10 or 11 episodes per season. So if she's spending six to eight hours writing, yeah. you know, think of the hours that are being sunk into totally. one show. I know. Like Breaking Bad, how many seasons was that? That's that. That was like five or six. It's like five or six seasons, and there's what, like, I don't know, 13, 14 episodes. Like, I, I can't even do the math on that. But how many hours did she spend immersed yeah. in the world of Breaking Bad um, yeah. to write all that script? So, you know, it's uh, that's, you know, a, it's a lot of hard work. For yeah, sure. absolutely. And, and you can tell when you watch Breaking Bad because the audio description that Diane provides flows naturally through you know she becomes another character almost in the series and you you don't even think about the writing but now after we've spoken to darla you know part of me is tempted to go back and at least watch the first or first or second season or a few episodes anyway and just really listen to the words diana is speaking now knowing yeah. who wrote it yeah right because it would give you a different appreciation i think of the art form that is the writing. Yeah, for sure. It is a really sort of fascinating process. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad to hear that they're starting to get credit for it because even though Darla was kind of like, oh, well, whatever, I don't really mind. I think that they do. They deserve full credit Absolutely. for that. They, they, the people should, should really be aware and, and be rewarded for creating really engaging content that's, that's going to be valuable to, to viewers. It's just as important as any of the other elements, you know, visual effects, camera people, like all the, everybody in those credits of that, of the, of the show that you're watching, they should be included in those. Absolutely. Well, and that's why I brought it up to Diane, because, you know, I, I watch a lot of Netflix, a lot of Netflix and everything has to have audio description, or I pretty much won't watch it unless it's something I'm really curious about. But, you know, there's so many different companies now, like, and one of the company's International Digital Center out of the UK, I think, um, does audio descriptive video, audio description. And that's where I first heard the describer, you know, announce his name at, in the credits. And I was like, huh, I've never heard that before. Hmm. And so that's why I wanted to ask Diane. And so I was actually kind of shocked when she said they've been doing it for just about a year, just over a year. I was like, wow, it's been that long? Yeah. Um, and maybe I'm just not listening to enough of the credits because a lot of times Netflix, when an episode ends, it just jumps you to the next episode. It doesn't play the entire credit role. But, you know, we've heard repeatedly from Descriptive Video Works that they want feedback. They have yeah. an advisory yeah. committee. They're listening to the community. You know, at some point, I'd love to have, you know, a couple other audio-described um, studios on our podcast and just kind of find out, you know, their processes, mm -hmm. sure. their workflow. Um, because, you know, we've, we've been in the DVW camp for years. Um, and the way it works at IDC in the UK or BMI or whoever, you know, they may have different opinions and different processes and, you know, yep. different thoughts. So it'd be interesting to get a different perspective. Yep. We're in Canada. We yes, need to we branch out a little bit more. And like I said, I'm hearing more and more all the time when I watch Netflix. So yeah. if you have a favorite audio describer, let us know who it is. If you know who it is. All right. I think it's time. It is that time. Um, wow, there's only two of us. Hey, Ryan. Yeah, Rob. 
where can people find us? They can find us watching Netflix and Amazon Prime and Crave and CBC Gem, but not Paramount. I'm not paying for another pres- not prescription, another subscription. Nope, yeah. sorry, Paramount. Got too many already. Um, but yeah, they can find us at atbanter.com. Hey, they can also uh, drop us an email if they so desire at. Oh, Cal- see, look at you soliciting Bell. email from our audience. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at. Wait, did I finish that? No, <laughs> whatever. Cowbell at atbanter.com. Uh, they can also find us on the old social media stuff, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Indeed. That's it. Check us out online at yep. www.atbanter.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Yep. <laughs> yep. Which should be the show. That's right. And tell us what you think of the oh chapters we've added to our podcast now. Do you like it? Do you not like it? No, don't say that because some people might not get them because it depends on what the app they're using. And now, now you're going to have people complaining. I nope. know, where are my chapters? <laughs> Change your podcast app. <laughs> There's more than one out there. All right, that is going to about do it for us this week. Big thanks, of course, to Darla for joining us. And we will see everybody next Next week. week. This podcast has been brought to you by Canadian Assistive Technology, providing low vision and blindness solutions across Canada. Find us online at www.canastech.com. That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H.com or call us toll-free at 1-844-795-8324. For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778-847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com. 